Normally when we sing, at the last screen there's a little thing in the corner that shows it's the last slide. And I was looking for that so that I could do this, get my notes out. So now I'm going to do it. (laughs) And hopefully this will work. Here we go. Oh, microphone. All right. (laughs) It's working. I want to thank you for the invitation to preach tonight. Um, As I was telling Mark earlier, it's always a blessing, an honor, and a privilege to stand anywhere and to preach the gospel. And so I'm I'm privileged and honored to have been asked uh, to preach the word tonight. And so I want to begin by saying hello and greetings. Uh, As you see, the sermon title is Gospel Greetings. So we'll start with greetings. Uh, For many of you, uh, my wife and I, we've, we've been attending this church for maybe six, seven months as we recently moved here uh, from a neighboring county, and it has just been a blessing to be a part of this church. And so we want to say thank you uh, to those of you who have reached out to us, who have been so kind and gracious to us, and even to those of you who we haven't even met yet. I believe you're probably just as kind and gracious. And so uh, it's just been an honor and a blessing to be able to be a part of this church and uh, this community. And so um, my wife, Christina, is over here, and our two girls, Madison and Trinity, if you haven't met them or me, grab me after the service and say hello, because I I do desire to meet you. Um, Greetings. (laughs) That's what we're looking at tonight. Throughout the world, around the world, we greet each other in strange ways. Most of the time, those ways are uh, cultural. Um, They're determined by our culture. They're determined by our surroundings. They're determined by lots of things. I noticed, uh, I did a little Google search uh, recently to see how people greet each other throughout the world, and I discovered that in Tibet, children, you're going to like this, in Tibet, they greet each other by sticking out their tongue. Now, I'm not exactly sure why it said something about it being a, a sign of peace uh, as the Tibetan monks would meet the others in the community. Uh, they would stick their tongue out, which is very strange to me, but okay. Uh, in Tibet, they stick out their tongue. In Qatar and Yemen, they'll bump their noses. Uh, in France, Italy, Spain, some of those European countries, they'll, they'll, they'll touch their cheeks. So COVID is, is, is not something to worry about there. In New Zealand, they rub their noses together and sometimes touch their foreheads to one another. Also, a little awkward. <laughs> so uh, in most countries like uh, that we're used to, we just shake hands. In uh, Zimbabwe and Mozambique, they clap hands. In Malaysia, they put their hands over their heart. And in many Asian countries, they'll bow to one another as they greet each other. For me, I grew up in the South. It's very typical for me to just say, hey, y'all. That's how I like to greet people. If you uh, have known me long, you'll know that I'm a pretty uh, obnoxious person. And uh, uh, I grew up in the 90s, uh, and I was just influenced too much by, I suppose, the world around me. So as a, as a kid from the 90s, if, if my phone were to ring right now and it's my twin brother on the phone and I answer it, he will expect me to answer the phone by saying, who knows it? What's up? What's up? 
That's how we greeted each other. That's how guys greeted each other in the 90s. And I apologize for being uh, so obnoxious. So we have many greetings that we use uh, with one another. Hello, aloha, hola, guten tag, what's up? Whatever it may be. But it's interesting as we observe Scripture, I noticed a greeting that is used throughout the New Testament that is used by the apostles, by many of the apostles and disciples in uh, Scripture. And uh, I wanted to observe just that simple gospel greeting tonight. Now, Pastor Mark said this morning, my text was 1 Corinthians 1.3, and it is. But this gospel greeting is all throughout the uh, New Testament, so I want us to see it. Uh, it shows up 17 times. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 3, he says it again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, he says the same greeting, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3, grace to you. And peace from God our Father. Ephesians 1.2, you probably know it by now. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The same is seen in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Colossians 1 and verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians verse 1 and verse 2. 1 Timothy 1, 2. 2 Timothy 1, 2. Titus 1, 4. Philemon 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 2. 2 Peter 1 and 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Second John verse 3, John adds mercy to his greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. And lastly, John uses it again in Revelation 1 and verse 4 as Pastor uh, Jamie has been sharing with us the book of Revelation. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. This, interestingly enough, was the common greeting that we see in the New Testament that the disciples and the apostles used to greet one another. In fact, it's really used mostly by Peter, Paul, and John. Peter, Paul, and John. If you're uh, studious, if you're paying attention tonight, you probably can already tell what points one and point two of our sermon are going to be. It is the meat of the message that these apostles have, and that is simply grace and peace. These are two words that have been on my mind for the last year because God has blessed me and my family in so many ways and revealed himself to us in so many ways. So why is it that the apostles, instead of saying something obnoxious like, what's that? <laughs> when they greet each other, 
They say the gospel to one another. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace are two brilliant terms that summarize Christianity as a whole. And I believe that the apostles knew this. And so they made it their common greeting with one another. So what is grace? Point number one, if you're taking notes. Grace is something that we probably are very familiar with, especially here. I mean, it's in the name of our church, isn't it? Have you ever stopped to think, what exactly is grace? What does it mean? Well, I'm about to tell you. Grace is an essential part of God's character. One person defines it this way. Grace is closely related to God's benevolence, His love, and His mercy. Grace can be variously defined as God's favor toward the unworthy or God's benevolence on the undeserving. In His grace, God is willing to forgive us and to bless us abundantly in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be treated so well or dealt with so generously. I think that's an okay definition of grace. But I think there's something that we oftentimes miss. I hope that tonight when we examine the words grace and peace, that you'll walk away having seen something new that you haven't seen or thought of before. Grace in the New Testament is most often used. The Greek word is charis, which, as I said, it it refers to grace. Its meaning uh, has this idea of joy and delight built into it. And most commonly, we would say that grace is defined as it is loving kindness and favor. Or it is God's loving kindness and favor. And those are good definitions of what grace is. Grace is God's loving kindness and favor bestowed upon us. Some of us have thought of, or maybe you recall the definition that you might have been taught as a child in vacation Bible school or Awana. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. How many of you have heard that before, right? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And again, that's a great definition of what grace is. But I think even that, in some ways, is lacking in just a little bit. When you think of that phrase, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, I, I hate to, I, I, I want to be careful with what I say because I, I don't want to be misquoted or thought of wrong here. But when it comes to God's grace, and my sinful heart, and my need for God's grace, God's grace is more than the stuff that he has that he can give to me. And I want you to understand what I'm saying, okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. When God gives me all these blessings, those are wonderful. But you've heard the song, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, my thought is this, yes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but what am I to do with all that steak? It's so much more, grace is so much more than God 
blessing me with stuff. I think Michael Reeves hits it on the head when he makes the definition in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. He gets it right. He defines grace this way, and listen carefully. He says, but the word grace is really just a shorthand way of speaking about the personal and loving kindness out of which God gives himself. Another commentator writes this. In talking about how God gives us his grace when he's shaping us into his, the image of his son, he says, far from destroying you, God will use everything that comes into your life, the most adverse circumstance, to accomplish in you the good thing that he is after. He will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the true grace of God. That is God giving himself freely to us. That is what grace is. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight I hope that when you think of grace, you will not just think of God's riches at Christ's expense, but you will think of God giving himself to you. The song we sang this morning that was introduced to us A great song, In the Valley. He says, When the path that I feared is the way that he has set, and I long to give in and retreat, still to Jesus I hold as I face every step, for the Lord will give me his peace. When the road that I tread fills my heart with despair, and it seems like my grief has no end, still to Jesus I hold who will walk with me there, and the Lord, he will give me his strength. On the road that you walked, with the weight of the cross, all my pain and my sorrow you held, so to you I shall hold. You redeem every loss. For my Lord, you have given me yourself. Bless the Lord, for he gives himself, was the final chorus of that song. Bless the Lord, for he gives me himself. And if I should remain in the valley today, bless the Lord, for he has given me himself. It is at the heart of the gospel message that we see this grace. And these words summarize it so well. There's so many aspects of grace that we can examine. God has given to us himself. As Dave preached last week through Hebrews, God has made a way for us to access him. And that is through Jesus Christ and the grace that he gives to us. The Bible is very clear that this grace is a gift. This is not a new concept to, um, to you, that grace is a gift from the Lord. Think about uh, young people especially. Think about a gift that you received recently, maybe at your birthday, maybe at Christmas time, um, receiving a gift. I can think back uh, some of the coolest presents, two of the coolest gifts I ever got as a kid. Uh, one of my uncles who lived in Germany 
my parents couldn't afford to buy us a Nintendo console. But my uncle, who lived in Germany, could get one on the black market and mail it to us for Christmas, cheaper than my parents could. So I got a Nintendo for Christmas, and that made my day. Now, another uncle decided that he needed to compete and be the best uncle. And so the next year, that other uncle gave uh, my brother and I a potato gun, which would launch potatoes hundreds of yards. One time we shot it in the house, right through the wall, a lot of trouble. But uh, that was the coolest Christmas present I can imagine, okay? Kids, think about that, okay? What was the coolest Christmas present you have ever had? Think about a gift that someone has, has put a lot of effort into, has, has done something kind to give to you. Here is that gift, okay? Now let's think about grace. Grace as a gift. Grace is given to you and I. This is God giving himself to us. Nothing is owed in return of that gift. A gift is something that, that uh, there is no repayment. There is nothing I can do. I just take that gift, the potato gun, and say, thank you. This is awesome. We should do the same with the grace that God gives us. That gift is free to those who receive it. When God extends his gift of grace to you and I, it is free to the recipient. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn that gift. The person who gives it bears the expense of the gift. God providing salvation through his son who bore the expense of the gift. Thirdly, grace as a gift is once the gift has been given... It's yours, right? It can't be taken back. It's not a loan. It's not something you borrow. But God, who gives his grace to you, has given it to you freely and said, take, this is for you. This is your gift. My grace, myself. A gift is a generous and voluntary exchange. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. No, a potato gun, a Nintendo. To me, as a 13-year-old, 12-year-old kid, that was something. <laughs> but God, giving himself to you. There is no greater gift. God giving himself to you is the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive. You and I both know that we're saved by grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We rather deserve the opposite. But the gospel is that God in mercy sent Jesus Christ so that sinners like you and I can be justified. So that those who deserve to be separated from God can be brought near to him. So that those of us who are enemies may become God's friend. So that those who, uh, who should face eternal punishment receive instead eternal life. All of that is ours, not because of anything that you or I have done, but because of God's 
grace. Ephesians 1 verse 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise Of what? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This idea should amaze you. I hope it does. Paul in Ephesians 1, 6 tells us that the whole forming of the world and the work of salvation is ultimately to the praise of the glory of his grace. This means that all of history and salvation exists so that we may praise God, so that we may glorify God, but even more specifically, so that we may glorify God. For what? For his grace. That is the ultimate goal. And it makes no sense to us. What's the most beautiful, appealing reality in the world? Not just a powerful, praise-deserving God. Not even just a loving God. Rather, the most beautiful, appealing reality in the universe is a powerful, praiseworthy, loving God who treats rebels better than they could have ever imagined. Grace is what God designed us to love as human beings. Why? Because all of creation exists so that he could wonderfully display his grace. And so God gives us more grace. As James tells us, he heaps up grace upon grace, as John 1.16 tells us. He gives us more grace to help in time of need, as Hebrews 4 says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. God preserves us, he comforts us, he encourages us, and he strengthens us. He says that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, have you experienced that kind of grace? Do you know God himself? Have you met God as the gift of grace as he's given himself to you through Jesus Christ, his son? That grace is so amazing and so wonderful and it's free as a gift to each of us. I trust that you have experienced that grace. But next, grace and peace. We've seen that grace is is a little more than we may have thought. It's God giving himself to us. But what about peace? Peace is... The same thing, it's a a word that's used a number of times in the Bible. It's a word that we oftentimes 
misunderstand. It's a word that we oftentimes uh, get wrong. Philippians 4 verse 7 refers to the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This idea of this peace of God, it is a mind-blowing concept. It is difficult to understand. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Oftentimes we might think that peace is, you know, sitting on the beach with the wind blowing through our hair, no troubles in the world, everything is perfect, it's just nice. God says, I give you my peace. That's not what he's talking about. While a nice day on the beach is uh, comforting, this is not the idea of peace. Um, Let's see here. People often refer to peace as a state of tranquility or quietness. But the term peace, as described in Scripture, is as a gift from God, is a part of his character. It is a part of God's character because God himself, or the Bible refers to God as the God of peace. So just as grace was God giving us himself, so peace is also related to God and his character. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Galatians 6, 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Again, connecting this idea of peace is part of who God is. 1 Peter 1, 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Hebrews 13, 20, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. God himself is peace. But again, it's not tranquility, quietness of challenges. So what is peace? Of the two terms here that is used so often, grace and peace, this word that was used, peace, would have triggered an idea in the minds of the Jewish listeners especially. In this time, in this day and age, when um, the books of the New Testament were being written, the people were under the authority of the Roman Empire. And there's a word that went around oftentimes called Pax Romana. That was not the picture of peace in this verse or in the New Testament as well. Although oftentimes it's alluded to. You see the Pax Romana, the people were, were under the authority of Rome. Rome came along and basically said, hey, we'll get along, okay? You pay your taxes, we'll protect you, we'll be at peace. And they had to say, yes or no. If they said no, it was off with their heads. If they said yes, here are my taxes, you take care of us. They said, oh, you're at peace with Rome. (laughs) It was a a submissive spirit 
of surrender that resulted in a peaceful day without conflict. Peaceful surrender, a day with no conflict. That is also not what peace in these passages is talking about. It's not a peaceful surrender. It's not um, this tranquility or security. You see, there was a security for the people there in Rome. They were protected. They were safe as long as they did what they were told. But peace is more than tranquility. Peace is more than security. Peace is more than unity. It is more than a comfort and ease. It is far greater than that. So when Paul used the word peace, it would have triggered a thought in the minds of the Jewish listeners. Remember that Paul himself was a Jew. And so the word peace meant more to Jews like Paul than just tranquility, unity. The word peace in Paul's greeting is the Greek version of the Hebrew word that we know as shalom. In Greek, they used the word arene, but to the Jewish listener, they would have known he's talking about shalom. Interestingly, shalom is often used as a greeting in uh, the Middle East. So what does this word shalom mean? What is it talking about? God's shalom is one of the main themes of the Old Testament. You see, the Israelites were redeemed as God's people through God's covenant, receiving God's covenantal love so that they could be a holy nation and worship God, all so that they might experience and share God's shalom in everything as it should be kind of peace. What was lost at the fall was shalom. And the final restoration of all things was not just to be a return to God, it was to be a shalom, a peace, returning to God in that sense. And so when Paul writes, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't, um, we can't think that he was merely referencing being okay with God and, and not fighting and not having conflict. It's so much deeper than that. Paul the Jew was saying that here in Christ is finally the shalom, the peace that we have all been waiting for. And when Paul writes that Jesus himself is our peace, he is saying that Jesus, the Messiah, is the the Israelites and now also the Gentiles' hope for shalom, for restoration for access to God himself. Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You know that's quoted from Micah chapter 5, verse 5 where the prophet talks about uh, Jesus coming from the land of Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Peace points us to the Hebrew notion of shalom, which, as I said, refers not just to a lack of conflict, but refers to a restoration. It refers to a wholeness that we have in Him. And that peace will be made complete someday when we stand with Him in paradise. And so to state it, Well, to state it bluntly, grace and peace to you is the entirety of the gospel summed up in five little words. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. So full of theological brilliance, we can sum up all of Christianity in these few words. May we praise God for His grace. May we praise Him for His shalom because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is what you and I need. Grace and peace is what I need every single day, every single moment of every single day. When you and I are hurting, when you're lonely, When you're doubting, when you're weeping due to unexpected loss, when you're struggling because of extreme heartache, when you're fighting a losing battle against your own sinful flesh, when you've hurt your children, your wife, when you've hurt a friend you've loved, grace and peace is what God gives to us. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I would encourage you tonight. I hope that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I hope that you have experienced God for who He is. This grace and peace every single day. Every day we must fall on our faces before him and repent and ask for his grace and for his peace that we might have the victory in this difficult day. And I pray that you as well would use this greeting not just as something you apply to your own lives and your own hearts, and you can walk around and say, woohoo, grace and peace. But that as you reach out to others, that you would use it as a greeting, just as the apostles did. And instead of saying, when you meet one another, say, brother, let me tell you about the grace of God. Let me tell you about the peace 
that you could know through Jesus Christ. That you'll greet one another instead of a holy kiss. Greet one another with grace and peace. There's a song. We can all be amazed by grace. But there's a song by Sovereign that was produced by the Sovereign Grace people. The lyrics are beautiful, so I'd like to read them in closing. It says this, grace and peace. Oh, how can this be? For lawbreakers and thieves, for the worthless, the least, you have said that our judgment is death for all eternity without hope and without rest. Oh, what an amazing mystery that grace has come to me. Grace and peace, how can this be? The matchless king of all paid the blood price for me. Slaughtered lamb, what atonement you bring. The vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed, can be free. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Grace and peace, oh, how can this be? Let songs of gratefulness ever rise and never cease. Loved by God and called as a saint, my heart is satisfied in the riches of Christ. Oh, what an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Grace and peace.